So good morning, everyone. We're continuing through our series on the people of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And this morning, we're going to be looking at probably the key person in this whole passage, Abraham and his faith. It's described in verses 8 through 19 of Hebrews chapter 11. And it's interesting, when I came to this passage of Scripture, I realized that this was the first pastor passage of Scripture that I preached on in this church when we moved here 32 and a half years ago. Uh, and, and because of that, I decided to do something very unusual this morning, something I've never done before. I thought it's a cold day, not many people are going to be here anyway. <laughs> but I decided to go back and, and share that original sermon with you, taking a few things out because certain things have changed over the years, but also adding a couple other things that, to help you understand how our, uh, our journey to, as a family has some similarities and points to some of the things that uh, Abraham went through in his journey of faith. And so we'll be looking at his stages of faith here in this and uh, I'll share a few, few, few insights that we've picked up along the way or some of the things that parallel maybe in a much lesser way uh, some of the things that Abraham went through. I, I began my, my sermon 32 and a half years ago by asking a question, and, and the question was this. Have you ever been hounded by a verse of Scripture? And uh, I went on to explain that for the last week, I've been thinking about a verse of Scripture. And actually, it's, it's not the whole verse. It's just the last portion of the verse, and that's Hebrews eleven six. And let me read it again. It's really the theme for this series that we're in right now. Hebrews eleven six says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists, and then we get to the last part of the verse, which I was just kind of mulling over my mind, in my mind over and over again. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And I, I said in that sermon, I said that thought has continually been before me over the last several days. First of all, it reminds me that true faith expects to receive something from God that believes he will reward our belief in him. And I, I talked about how that week I felt like God was asking me the question, are you expecting anything from me? Do you genuine, genuinely believe that I'm going to answer prayer? Or are you just praying because that's what you do as a pastor? <laughs> Remember, without faith it's impossible to please me and faith expects results. It be believes I reward those who seek me. And a second way in which this verse was persistently speaking to me was that little word earnestly. <laughs> and, and actually what it is in the Greek, it's just an, an intense form of the word to search. And because it's an intense form of it, they add diligently or earnestly in the different translations. And again, I felt like God was talking to me, and he says, are you a seeker of God or just a casual observer? <laughs> I, I really believe 
God is who he says he is. And I will seek him and I will expect him to reward my search. But I went on and said, but you know, too often we're afraid of intensity in our search for God today. It borders on fanaticism to get too zealous about our quest to know God. You know, typically the people we talk to are, are kind of laid back and undisturbed and kind of contented about their spiritual condition. And on the surface, those things seem to be not such bad qualities. I mean, one of the fruit of the Spirit is peace, and just to be peaceful about where you're at is okay. But, but if we're honest, most of us would have to admit that we were in a cold state or static state spiritually, and that's one of the reasons we weren't too passionate about knowing God. There's no vacuum of desire in our lives for God. And as I remember back to that period of my life, you know, I'm reminded of the intense passion and desire that I had to know God. It, you know, if I were to pick one word to describe what that time was like for me, I would pick the word hungry. I was hungry for more of God. I was hungry to know Him more deeply, no matter what it cost me. Tozer says this, he says, Occasionally there will appear on a religious scene a man whose unsatisfied spiritual longings become so big and important in his life that they crowd out every other interest. He says, Such a man refuses to be content with safe and conventional prayers, the prayers of the frost-bound brethren who lead in prayer week after week, year after year in the local assemblies. His yearnings carry him away and often make something of a nuisance out of him. His puzzled fellow Christians shake their heads and look knowingly at each other. But like the blind man who cried out after sight and was rebuked by the disciples, he cries the more a great deal. I want to be passionate about knowing God. Abraham was such a man. He had a desire for God that crowded out every other interest in his life. When you think of the faith of Abraham, you realize that the Bible has more to say about Abraham's faith than any other individual. In fact, is faith is almost synonymous with Abraham. You think about faith, you think about Abraham. And here in Hebrews 11, it's interesting that a fourth of this chapter on the great men and women of faith is devoted to this one man, Abraham. And this morning, I want to ask us to observe Abraham's pilgrimage of faith. A pilgrimage is a, a journey toward a destination. And as you observe Abraham's life, you're going to realize that it was headed somewhere. He wanted to know God. And his quest to know God brought him a lot of hurdles that he had to go over that he wouldn't have had to go over if he wasn't pursuing God. And so in this passage, there are four crises in Abraham's life. Each one uh, is a time in which his faith is severely tested, but Abraham passes each test successfully. And because of that, after passing one, he's more prepared for the next one. And so this morning, I want to look at the growth of Abraham's faith and the four crisis points in the life of Abraham. You don't have to guess that. They're clearly identified in this text because each one is introduced by two little words, by faith. (laughs) Four times the author of Hebrews says of Abraham, by faith. And so in this message, we're going to see that 
By faith, Abraham set out on a risky venture. By faith, he continued to trust through the confusing circumstances of trying to follow the call of God in his life. By faith, Abraham believed God for the impossible in giving him and Sarah a child. And by faith, Abraham was willing to give this promised child back to God again. And I want to think of each of these as a call of God to Abraham. And as we examine Abraham's response, my hope is that we're going to realize a little bit more fully what it means to live by faith. So let's look at the first one. Faith to risk. The author of Hebrews says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Do you get that last part? Even though he did not know where he was going. Would you do that? <laughs> now, now, you have to understand how relevant this was to Doris and I at this point in our life. You know, um, At the time I shared this sermon in Great Falls, uh, God had just opened the door for us to move to this city, this town. And we had already been in a number of different ministries in all different kinds of settings. We had moved around quite a bit in our early days. I know you don't believe that because we got, you got stuck with us for 32 years here. But, but we did. We moved a lot. And, and we had already been in an inner city ministry in, in New York. And we had been in a suburban city buff, just outside of Buffalo in a, a, a suburban area. We lived in a resort area and we lived in a rural area. And each time we went to these different places, it was a new stage of faith for us. And we didn't know on each of these stages where it was going to take us, what it was going to be like to be in that type of environment. And that was true about our case, about coming here too. I was really excited about it. It seemed like an adventure with God. Uh, And what mattered most was not where we were going, but the knowledge that God was going to be with us. You know, it's kind of interesting since I'm doing things a little different this morning. I, I asked Doris late in the week, you know, why don't you participate in this message with me? Why don't you share a little bit about what you were going through when I was going through this? So I'm going to ask Doris to come up here and join me. She reluctantly said yes after saying, you mean you're asking me this at the end of the week? Uh, because she had to pull it together quickly. But uh, I'm asking her to share first of all, about what it meant to be kind of going where we didn't know where we were going and how God was going to be leading us. Well, John was right. When we, um, after our weekend of candidating here in Great Falls, we we were really excited. However, for us, um, we knew faith was going to be required of us as to whether or not we stayed in our church in eastern Montana or we moved here to Great Falls. It would take faith for us to stay where we were because we were in a rural community that we weren't really sure was a, we were really a good fit for it. And however, it was going to take faith for us if we moved and we came here and started all over. We would be trusting God for a new adventure, a new ministry, um, and really the unknown yet again. After the weekend, we had a really fun weekend here, and um, we were driving back to eastern Montana, that desolate straight stretch of 200 that goes forever east of here, and we were talking about what faith looked like for, the t- for us, and we came to the conclusion that faith was opening our hands and releasing this decision to God, 
And the hard thing was, is we, we got to the point where we had to pray that we were as willing to stay where we were, even though we didn't really feel like we were a good fit there, or um, we needed faith to, to come here. But we were leaving God to steer that decision for us. And we were going to trust him with whatever outcome that was. It wasn't easy, but both of us on that drive came to the point where we wanted what God wanted for us more than our own desire of what we wanted for ourselves going forward. It's interesting that, that uh, the Lord gave, us, gave Doris a poem a number of years ago that's meant a lot to me too, but it's one by Ruth Graham titled Home Address. And uh, why don't you share when it was given to you, the stressful circumstances it was given to you under, and uh, what it's come to mean to you. Well, years ago, God gave this poem to us, to me first, at a crit- another critical juncture in our lives. We were seeking God about our future, and he had led John to candidate in this small town in Wisconsin. And I have to admit, I wasn't equally convinced. Um, I'm a Montana girl, and it was a long way from family, and it was a long way from the mountains. And it, it was a Saturday afternoon, and I was... Um, sitting upstairs in this little bedroom in, in the home where we had been billeted. Um, John was going over his sermon, not his sermon, some studies. I guess we had another meeting, an interview, and he was preparing for that. And I was sitting there looking out the window at this dreary, um, rainy landscape with no mountains. And, and I, was, I was really depressed, and I was super anxious. And I sat down, and I, and I started praying. And I began flipping through this book that John had given me by Ruth Graham. And, and you have to know, I, I love Ruth Graham's writings. Um, I love her independent spirit. Um, I love her passion for God. And, and I had always viewed her as somewhat of a mentor to me. But here's the poem that she wrote that God gave me that afternoon. My home address, Christ. In him I dwell, wherever else I be, as bird in the air, as branch in the vine, as tree in the soil, as fish in the sea. He is my home. My business address? Here, Little Piney Cove, or London, Corinth, Calcutta, or Rome, Shanghai, or Paris. My business address? Wherever he puts me. But he is my home. And in that moment, I knew that wherever we landed... We were home because God was our home. And the most important factor being that he was going to be with us. It's interesting, right after we we got married, I took her from Montana to New York, and we worked in the Bronx in New York City. And, I mean, this was that was traumatic for her, moving clear across the country like that from Montana to a big city. But everywhere we've gone, it's been true. God is with us, and that makes it home. In Hebrews 11.8, we're told that God called Abraham to leave his home and venture out into the unknown. And this, of course, meant Abraham had to trust God to guide him. It wasn't like God gave him this map and said, you're going to go to all these different places. Here's where you're going to end up. Here's what it's going to look like. It says he didn't even know where he was going exactly. In the Navy, you know, there's times they send people out to battles, battle on missions that are under sealed orders. And, and in a way, that's what it must have felt like for Abraham. 
He didn't know where God was taking him. He, had, he, he didn't give him a long explanation about what it was going to look like. He simply gave him a promise that he would go with them and told him that he was going to give him a land and he sent him out not knowing where he was going and Abraham went. But not only did it mean that he had to trust God, it also meant that Abraham had to separate himself from his past entanglements. You know, think about what it cost Abraham to obey God. At the time of his call, he was a mature person. He was very established in his community. He was successful. And God says to him, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. <laughs> and, and I try to put myself in, in Abraham's sandals. Try to think through what that would have meant for him. It meant he had to sever his business connections. He had to give up his comforts and the conveniences and go and live under the stars in a tent as a homeless drifter in a foreign land. He had to break his ties with his family and friends. And it isn't like today where when you move, you can call home every weekend. You can call home anytime you want and you can go home, by, get a, catch a flight home for the holidays and continue to see your family and friends. This was a clean break. And imagine how Abraham's friends would have responded to him when they asked him, you know, now where exactly are you going and why? And he would say, well, I don't, I don't know. And when they asked him what he was going to do when he got there, he said, well, I'm supposed to start a new nation. <laughs> and when they asked him if the fact that he was 75 years old and didn't have any children yet might be a problem in starting a new nation, he probably said, well, it appears to be. He <laughs> must have looked crazy. Family and friends must have looked at him out of the corner of their eyes. You know, following God can sometimes be like that. Do you know that? Yet Abraham believed God and he went out without a clear destination, leaving no forwarding address. He went out into the sunset with God. You know, we all, at some point, if we're trying to follow God, are going to take a similar pilgrimage. When God calls us to himself, he calls us to leave our old way of life. And that's a very frightening proposition for us. Many people want to follow God, but they want to know exactly what it means, and they want to weigh the, the cost against the benefits, and they want, to, they want to think it through. But God doesn't call us that way. He just calls us, and we, we have to go. And, and, and it, lots of times it demands radical changes in our life. From the outside, the Christian life, you know, sometimes seems kind of dull and unexciting, but it's anything but that. <laughs> The reason it seems dull and unexciting to us is our desires haven't changed yet. We're still kind of hug, hugging this world and the things the world has to offer. We want to know in advance, you know, if we give something up, what's, the sub, what's he going to give us in, in place of it? And his response is, myself. <laughs> I'm giving you me. And that was enough for Abraham. So he left Ur because... His desire for God overwhelmed what the world had to offer him, and in going, he passed his first test. The second crisis in Abraham's life, I think, is a more tough, difficult one. And that is, I call it the faith to live. 
It says this, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. <laughs> this is the land he's promised and he's a stranger in a foreign country there. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He wanted his foundation being built on God's king, in God's kingdom, not in this promised land that he had been given. Now here we see that God not only called Abraham into the unknown, he also called him to live in tents. That's another way of saying that God called Abraham to live a detached life in order that he could have an attached life to him. Abraham never built a permanent dwelling in the land that had been promised to him. We're told he wandered around like a stranger in exile. The only piece of property he ever owned in Palestine was just a little plot of ground where he would bury his wife, Sarah, years later. Yet that didn't seem too disturbing toward, to him. He was a wealthy man. He was a man who had a lot, but he wasn't disturbed by the fact that he lived like a wanderer throughout his life because he realized he was an alien on earth and that he was living for a different country, a heavenly one. Fact is, the next three verses here, verses 13 through 16, it's talking about Abraham and the other people it's been talking about in this passage. And it says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. Listen to this next sentence. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they were looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they could have returned. They would have an opportunity to return to it. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Abraham, as a tent dweller, qualified as one who did not regard the earth as his permanent residence. His life was about making, not about making this world just a more comfortable place and having more of the, 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 the things that this world has to offer. The New Testament teaches us that the Christian citizenship is in heaven, that his treasure is up above where the Lord is, that it's where his hope is, up with God. And the call of Abraham proved very challenging because it wasn't just moving from a, one situation to one that's equally nice. He moved to a place where it was difficult, hard. There was challenges that were faced as being a nomad, living in a, a, a difficult land. It wasn't easy. The one who steps out in faith has to continue to live by faith. Not only for beginning the walk of God, but also for perseverance in one's call. In fact, Abraham's arrival in the land that God had promised to him in some ways was a more difficult challenge than leaving home in the first place. Instead of, like I said, being given the land, he dwelled there as a wandering nomad. And I'm sure at some point his wife said to him, Abraham, where is this land that God promised you? Where is it? Abraham quickly discovered the promise God had given him would not quickly be fulfilled, and he had to live by faith. The phrase, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return, tells me something really significant. 
It tells me Abraham could have returned home to his old way of life if he wanted to, but he didn't want to because by, by faith he had tasted of the heavenly city and that's all that mattered to him now. And we too have to live lives detached from the world if we're to please God. For most of us, there's going to come a time in following God when it's going to get tough and we have to convince ourselves that it's worth it to keep going. You know, when Doris and I first set out to follow God's call in ministry, there were some really difficult days in ministry for us, and and we wondered if it was really worth it to follow God's call. And so I'm going to ask Doris to come up here once again, and I want you to share with people here what the early days of ministry were like while you were following this crazy guy around the country, and uh, how difficult that really was for you in some of the places that we were at. You know, when we entered the ministry, I was pretty idealistic. Um, I thought I knew what the pastorate looked like, as I was the daughter of parents who were deeply immersed in many different kinds of ministries, including the pastorate. And even though I had witnessed a rather nasty church split as a teenager, I was still somewhat unprepared for the reality of what being a pastor's wife would actually look like. It was while we were in Red Lodge, um, John's first senior pastorate, that there was this, um, while we were there, there was a very difficult woman in our church who seemed to look for any opportunity to put me down or embarrass me in social settings or in any group, for that matter. Um, The criticism was frequent and it was constant. And I really struggled how to respond to her. Um, I wasn't either very witty, unlike my husband or all my sons, and I wasn't very skilled at handling her cutting comments, and, and my silence only seemed to empower her. She always managed to do it under the guise of being helpful or funny, um, but it definitely developed into a really unhealthy pattern that not only hurt me, but made those moments really uncomfortable for anyone who was there. I had never really had any enemies until we were in the ministry, and I had never been bullied to that degree in my life, and I wasn't really yet aware that this might simply be the price of being married to someone in Christian leadership. I just couldn't understand how a Christian could have such a cruel tongue. And after a year of enduring her comments with no end in sight, I wanted out. I wanted out of the pastorate. In fact, I remember telling God, I'm giving you one year to change my mind. I had no idea what would happen at the end of the year. (laughs) I wasn't leaving John. I just wanted to get out of the ministry. But because of feeling like I was going to have a target on my back my whole life, I I just didn't want full-time ministry. It wasn't for me. I figured we could love and serve Jesus without making it our occupation. And although John's experience in Red Lodge was very different from mine, after two years of pastoring, we did move to New York so that John could attend seminary. And even though I was working full-time, I got to attend some, attend some classes, audit some, take some classes. And there was this one class in particular that had a powerful impact for me. It was a God-appointed moment for me. 
Each week, a different speaker, a guest speaker, came to that little group and would share with these women some of the fa- some facet of stresses that we would be facing in ministry. And I remember the night a woman named Joyce, who had both who came and came and to our little group, and she had had experience both as a pastor's wife and a district superintendent's wife. And she joined our little group that night, and she told a story. She told a story about a woman in her church that constantly belittled her in front of others. And her story was so much like my own, right down to the peculiar little details. She was so angry about it that she went off to our denomination's council, yearly annual council, and she told God, I'm giving you one week to change my mind, or I want out. And, and she had even used my very words, only I thought, I thought well, I gave God a whole year. <laughs> I, but I knew God was speaking to me that night. She went on to say how God changed her heart that week. And that night, I silently prayed that God would change mine. And God was so faithful to answer that prayer. And that answer was largely due to that woman's willingness to be a tool that God could use as she shared with openness and this refreshing vulnerability about how God had met her in the middle of her questions and her doubts. And her story gave me hope it gave me direction. And I have to say, all these years later, I'm here today in a large part due to her frank honesty and her willingness in faith to obey God. God used her story to give me courage and a resolve to get back on track and to follow him wherever he was leading us. It's interesting that few years later, after God used her so instrumentally in Doris's life, we went to my brother's wife's funeral in Michigan, and uh, he's a missionary, and his wife got a brain tumor and died. And when we were there, Joyce was there, and Doris had a chance to go and say, tell her how God had used her in her life at that moment to encourage her to really keep pushing forward in uh, the ministry with me. You know, at times we look back longingly at where we've come from, you know, and you think, hey, it wouldn't be so bad to go back. And when we start to look back, our affections for God dwindle, and we find our longings for this world start to increase, and that we become more attracted to this earthly city. And so my question here is, which city is captivating your heart right now? Which one are you more drawn to? You know, we all struggle with the gravitational pull between these two worlds. And, and since God refuses us to force him, force us to, to do anything, he, he, he must choose, uh, we have to choose to center our affections on him. And Abraham lived a detached life. He lived in a f- tent. He lived in uh, a transient way. There was no permanent dwelling. If he'd been in permanent dwelling, it would be much harder for him just to leave and follow God's command. It's a dangerous thing when a Christian starts to feel permanently fixed in this world. As pilgrims, we're told to hold things loosely and be ready to follow God at any given moment. The third crisis, and we'll go quickly through these, but the third crisis of faith for Abraham was faith to believe We're told that he had to believe something that didn't make sense. 
verses 11 and 12 were said that by faith Abraham, even when he was past the age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become the father, a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, that's kind of an interesting statement, came the descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. This time, the call of God required him to believe something that wasn't probable, it wasn't even possible. And even though Abraham and Sarah were as, quote, as good as dead, God still fulfilled his promise to them. When God reaffirmed his promise of a son to Abraham and Sarah, Sarah laughed about it because she knew it wasn't possible. They were too old, but the Lord rebuked her with this question. Is anything too difficult for God? And that's a question we need to ask ourselves continually through our walk with the Lord when we face challenges that we don't understand and we feel like we're trying to follow God obediently. In the front of one of my Bibles, I wrote this. The more impossible the situation, the more glory it gives God when he provides an answer. And so when you find yourself, you know, at a dead end in your life, keep believing because like Abraham, you know that God will be faithful and true. It was faith that enabled Abraham to believe God's promise. It was faith that enabled him to believe that God was bigger than the circumstances in their life. And when we have problems that seem too big for God, the real problem is we're worshiping a God that's too small. The true God is all-powerful. Nothing is too hard for him. So then if we exercise faith like Abraham, we, we have to break ties from our old way of life and follow God through some pretty uncharted territory. We need to live a detached life so that we might be attached to God and we must believe God for the impossible And then God requires the big test. He had to be willing, Abraham had to be willing to give up his most prized possession to God. The fourth test was what I call faith to surrender. And it's recorded for us in verses 17 through 19 where we're told this. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Isn't that bizarre? He waited for this impossible promise to be given, and now God says, give it back to me. Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So God had already promised that Isaac was going to be the one through whom all these promises he had given would be fulfilled. So Abraham just doesn't understand God. He just doesn't make any sense to him at all right now. But he reasons that God could raise the dead and figuratively speaking, he did. And he received Isaac back from the dead. And you know the story of Abraham and Isaac. When God told Abraham to give up his son Isaac, God instructed him to do the unthinkable, to give back to him the gift that he had given him. And here we see Abraham was willing to surrender his son to God, reasoning that God could raise him from the dead if needed. For God had told him that he would fulfill his promises. This kind of faith surrenders what we value the most back to God and trust him completely. Now there comes a time in each of our lives when God will test us. And the test is going to be similar to that of Abraham when he asked, when God asked him for his son. This is a test of full surrender to God. It's the call of God to relinquish the thing we cherish most 
in life. John Bunyan went through this. He was in jail for preaching the gospel. And he was deeply troubled while he was in jail because he had a family. He was especially grieved about a little blind daughter he had for whom he had a real special love and she seemed to really need him. And realizing that he was separated from his family because he wouldn't stop preaching Christ, he agonized in his spirit and he wrestled and he said this. He said, I saw in this condition a man who was pulling down his house upon the head of his wife and his children. In other words, the call of God was requiring me to pull down the house on my wife and and my children. And yet he said this, he says, I thought, though I must do it, the dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol may be, tear it from its throne. I want to worship you, God. You know what's especially hard for us? The more we love, the harder the question of priorities gets for us. Warren Wearsby put it this way. He says, Our greatest battles are not waged between love and hatred, but between two loves, our love for God and for God's blessings. And the deeper we love, the more difficult the test. The deeper we love that which God has given us, the more difficult the test will be for us. On one occasion, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So in renouncing everything in our life, good or bad, we go into a very lonely period, a period where a soul, all they have is God, and they're trying to understand what it means. Sometimes we have to relinquish loved ones. Sometimes we have to relinquish ambitions we've had. Sometimes there's longings that we have that we have to give up. Our gifts and talents that we want to use that God isn't using the way we wish he would. Our hopes, our desires, our everything. And for many of us, that feels like offering God back our only child. The one who wants to be fully committed to God must be willing to remove anything from the temple of their hearts so that he might reign unchallenged there. And for us, many times I felt that the call of God cost our family too at times. There are more benefits than cost, but there's times that there were cost. And there are times that I felt, you know, I can't continue down this road. But time and time again, with God's help and the help of this loving church, you've helped me over and over again through the years that I've been here. We made it through. And we're still here. And I'm sure I wouldn't be here today if it hadn't been for you helping us along the way. And now after walking all these years with the Lord, I testify that I firmly still believe where I was when I started this journey that serving God is the greatest privilege a person can have in their entire life. So in closing, what, what, what level of faith is God requiring of you today? Maybe he's asking you to step out in some risky new venture. Maybe he's teaching you to trust him through the daily grind of life. Maybe you stepped out and tried to follow him and instead of getting your expected reward, instead you encountered a lot of disappointments and setbacks. At first you might have thought you missed the call of God in your life because you didn't expect it to be this hard. Or maybe he's asking you to believe him for something that seems impossible. Maybe you find yourself standing in front of a brick wall and God says walk through it. 
Or maybe there's a character trait that God wants to change in your life. He wants to help you overcome it, but then you know you can't do it without his intervention. You've tried many times. Maybe you're feeling called to the Lord's work, but you don't feel like you have the means to do it or the talents to do it. Or maybe God's asking you to give up something in your life that you value more than anything else. It might be a life goal. It might be a loved one. It might be some worldly passion. And this test is going to require you to anguish over it. There's going to be a spiritual searching, but regardless, God calls you to open your hands and relinquish to him something you don't have control over. And he's using this loss in your life to give you a greater portion of himself. What's he requiring of you today? What test of faith are you at? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this man Abraham and just see an overview of his life and see all the challenges he faced along the way, help us to understand this, what it means to follow you all the days of our life. It's interesting, Lord, that the year we came here in 1986 it was the same year Rich Mullins wrote a song, Step by Step, You'll Lead Me. And Father, I just think it, as we followed you on this journey, you've led step by step all the way. We didn't know all the turns and challenges we would face along the way, but it's been a joy to walk with you. And we can honestly say that we're living for a better kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.